0: Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 81. It's Thursday, March 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It's opening day at home. Of course, today would have been the start of the 2020 baseball season. Uh, We're here to try and help everybody through that. I mean, Eno and I are definitely bummed about the situation, as we've talked about in recent weeks. But we're going to talk about some roster shuffles, uh, the unfortunate injury for Noah Syndergaard that we found out about earlier this week. Uh, Probably a little bit of talk about some changes I'll be making to my rankings prior to the weekend. Uh, We got a few mailbag questions that were holdovers from the last episode. And we have the triumphant return of beer of the week. So it's going to be as fun as it can be for an opening day without baseball. Uh, How are things going for you this week, you know?
1: I just assisted on... Two Zoom classes, one for a five year old and one for an eight year old. So I can do anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that does seem I, like a, a challenging situation. Like a five year old in particular on Zoom seems like it's really tough, right? You get to like ten, twelve year old kids, like they can probably handle it as far as like controlling the mute and just doing the things that you need to do to learn in a group setting that way. Hmm. But there are there are adults who can't figure out Zoom. Like I have I've bumped into them. Teachers are having some trouble with this right now. Is what I'd like
1: where's this? the the whole thing begins? and so the teacher's saying you know oh where's the mute button oh where, you know oh gosh why can't i do and, and like sort of fumbling around and then the kids start just talking to each other there's like cacophony then she finally mutes them all and like oh where were we and oh can you see this when i share the screen no you can't why not you know and like, it's just like wow this i want to throw something um, with the five-year-old, we haven't tried it yet. Next week will be a, a full Zoom. This was like a parent-teacher type conference, and he still could barely handle it, looking at the screen, and I had to follow him around while he was doing things uh, in order to make it work. But the eight-year-old today discovered that he could chat with his friends while the teacher was talking. Oh no! <laughs> so he was just chatting, and and I was like, "Pay attention!" I kept I kept minimizing his little chat screen he had going with somebody else, and. Um, uh, you know, and just on on top of that all, uh, the first time the eight-year-old tried, uh, there was a parent in the background uh, who didn't know that his entire conversation was being captured, and he was on the phone with somebody loudly talking about all the things that were a problem with this lockdown, and how he was thinking about getting a dog just to so had a reason to get out of the house, and how, you know, teaching is a full-time job, and uh, you know, just, uh, just like, just like kind of banal at this point. Cause we're all dealing with this sort of stuff, but like loud to the point where the teacher was like, I don't know if I can do this. And then we, were, <laughs> we were all like trying to figure out who it was. Hadley, Hadley, tell your dad to get off the phone <laughs> 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 or at least mute yourself. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I love that our first read was for a work from home thing. Cause everyone's trying to figure that part out.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a new thing for a lot of people. And, you know, it was a new thing for me when I started with The Athletic just over a year ago, actually, my one year anniversary, I think, rolled by a week ago, Wednesday. And I wouldn't have known there's an automated email we get that just lets us know, like, hey, you've been here a year. Um, (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'd kind of forgotten about it. But We're all going to become better at these types of things. And there is definitely a learning curve if you're not used to working from home and you've only been doing it for a few days or a few weeks. Um, The the main things that I have learned over a year, they're mainly things I was told initially by people who have done this. And I didn't necessarily follow through on what they told me right away, which is stupid. Like if someone gives you good advice, you should follow it. Mm -hmm. Um, The truest one for me is to get up and make it seem like you are going to leave the house to work so for most people that would include you know taking a shower and putting on some new clothes that are not the same clothes they slept in like legit like clean yourself up a little before you go (laughs) sit down at your workstation that does go a long way to sort of refresh you and and make you feel uh, like you're about to begin work so that that one is the one that i didn't like not shower for a week or anything like that but there are days where i'd say oh i'll I'll shower at lunch like yeah they think about how that would go like going into your office being like i'm gonna go home during my lunch hour take a shower and then come <laughs> you would never do that so you shouldn't do that when you work from home yeah you know it's it's definitely good advice
1: the i haven't really followed through on that one because in, this is that this is one thing is that everyone's gonna have like their unique situation about when they're toughest work time is, like when the most work needs to be done and how that interacts with their home schedule. So for me, uh, working with an East Coast editor and often waking up to a published piece, you know, a piece already being out there that needs to be promoted and needs to be interacted with, needs to comments to be interacted with, needs to make sure there's no errors, that sort of stuff. You know, I just can't. I don't have time in the morning. So, you know, around 2, my time, around 5, East Coast time, everything becomes for tomorrow.
0: You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, because of the time change, yeah.
1: So, I actually mostly shower, and, and I've seen some things like work out in the morning and shower in the morning. I mostly work out and shower around 3, 3 and 4, um, just because... I have to, as soon as I can, I have to get to my computer and and deal with interactions. So I, I'm not saying that it's not good advice for people. And if you can, definitely do it. The main thing for me was uh, I got a lot better at my job, I think, when I secured a space that was separate. Which is similar to what you're saying. You know, like, go somewhere. Like, get somewhere else. Like, have work be something else. And so... You know, was a big deal for me when I got a little office. Uh, I'm in the basement, ironically, but um, it's not my mom's house. <laughs> it, it's my mother-in- laws house.
0: <laughs> I, I think the big challenge, though too, is, is if you don't have that second bedroom, for example, like I, I, I'm lucky enough. I'm, I live in the Midwest, so I've got a two-bedroom no apartment. Space, Some people yeah. people have a one-bedroom apartment or they have an efficiency. I think that's where it would be like, so get up, hard. make the bed, like move the furniture around a little bit, hug, whatever you have to do, <laughs> make like, it have a, feel like an office. Yeah, right. Like kind of convert your space would be kind of the starting point because if I mean, imagine that like if, if you had an efficiency and you had to basically work from the same surface that you sleep on, that would be an extremely difficult transition Ugh. to make every single day.
1: It was part of why we left New York City actually cuz our last apartment was a, was like a extended it was not a studio it was somewhere between a 1B and a studio kind of kind of open space the whole thing and um, we were, like looked around and we we're like baby goes
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah work goes where and, I, and I, I would recommend not just sort of like rolling out of bed and just like putting the laptop on your lap. <laughs> it's like a, that's a good recipe for just strolling through Twitter for four hours and then turning on the TV, being horrified, and going back to bed having done no work, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, my my worst habit, which isn't even necessarily a work habit, is that when I wake up and my phone alarm goes off, I often open Twitter before I take my feet and put them on the floor no. to get out of bed and that's a horrible <laughs> habit i've been trying to break it for a long time so i'm hoping i have a similar yeah hoping slack, get slack out of and slack and twitter are open sometimes before i peed good tools but um damaging if not used correctly <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about some news because i, I wanted this to feel kind of like a normal opening day as much as it possibly could and well, things you know, are happening Things are actually happening. Teams are still making roster moves, and we found out about a major injury again this week. Noah Syndergaard is going to have Tommy John surgery. It was scheduled for today. It's almost four o'clock on the East Coast as we record this, so I'm assuming that the surgery has actually happened by now. Uh, but we've kind of come to this place. We know that 13 months is kind of the typical timetable for returns. So you know, we're not going to see Syndergaard pitching in games probably until may of 2021 maybe the end of april next year but this seems really bizarre because he wasn't struggling this spring in the limited innings he threw in the grapefruit league um so this one really kind of just blindsided me when it popped up a couple of days ago and the mets have a little bit of depth they've got rick porcello and michael Walker, who were sort of competing for the fifth starter spot they're just both in the rotation now i think as things stand mm. with cinder injury
1: I actually had the Mets in Brad Johnson's OOTP experiment. And so right now I'm looking at, you know, Porcello and, and, and Waka in my rotation and wondering how much of a big deal it is. Not, yes, it's a big deal to lose at the top end, but I'm wondering how much of a big deal it is that those guys are my 4-5. They actually built in some depth. And, you know, as far as 4-5 go, how bad is that situation? I don't think it's that bad. So I'm debating whether... And I'll take feedback. I'm debating whether or not I should trade for
0: Ivaldi, uh, who's on the block. I'm, I'm the kind of person who wants Ivaldi to be healthy and productive because I want everyone to be healthy and productive. And he's been through a lot with multiple surgeries himself. But I think I've just hit a point with him where I'm very skeptical of his ability to not break down at this stage of his career. And it would be so. just
1: terrible if I, you know, used up all my money and then also had two more years of him um used all my money getting him and then had two more years of him and then he you know had a big uh, injury i just i'd be like sort of chasing what's it called chasing the dragon or something. that's like a heroin reference chasing um, the dragon. anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave those aside and uh, no uh yeah i i don't think i would cost much is the one thing uh, but um, it would sink um, like most of my free agency acquisition budget, so I'm kind of tempted to just start the season and see how it goes, but um, you never know with the simulation. So. Uh, when it comes to what the Mets will do, um, I think that's the same thing. I don't think that they're going to react to this very much.
0: No, un- unfortunately, I mean, there's not much they can do at the present time i don't think it changes anything with their plans for guys that they had lined up in the bullpen like i don't think they would change their mind on Seth Lugo as a reliever like he's such a huge part of their bullpen right now and like, do you feel like they gave him enough looks as a starter to this point where they can comfortably say like this is a reliever at this point
1: in a full spring maybe you could say wow you know let's see if we can stretch him out but if you know the, the longest, the biggest number I've heard for what this spring will look like is three weeks. And the last time we had a shortened one, I think it was 1995, coming off of the lockout, they had a 19-day spring training. So that, I think, is the lo- the long end of it. They can't get word to Lugo. And this is a little side note that, that uh, came to me in a conversation with a... Um, I don't even know how to refer to them without giving them away, but it's like sort of a a person in pitching in a, in a front office, you know, like person who dedicates himself to pitching in a, in a baseball front office. They were saying, you know, there's a liability issue here. We cannot tell people to do certain things when, if they do those certain things and those certain things make them get into contact with other people and they get the virus, then we're liable. Hmm. So, it's They have to play this sort of very touchy-feely, like, well, this is the recommendation. Number one is your personal safety, and so on and so forth. So I think it would be pretty hard to get a message to Lugo to stretch out.
0: Well, yeah, and, and to feel confident in his ability to comfortably find a safe way to do that. Right. Like,
1: so what do you just blow him out, and then you got a hole in the bullpen, too?
0: Yeah, and I, I think sometimes we look at Porcello especially, and Probably we overlook his real life value in a normal season as an innings eater. Uh, Last Mm -hmm. season was rough, 552 ERA, 139 whip. But normally you're going to get a low, maybe a mid fours ERA, but usually an above average whip from him in a lot of innings. And, you know,
1: I think he's a decent deep league guy. I think he's going to come over to the National League and enjoy getting the extra out and have like a 425 type ERA and be just a fine guy. Um, and for what it's worth, I think Waka can can get there, can cl- get close to that too. One thing that I discovered is that they have Steven Gonzalez in AAA. Um, Gonzalez, I thought was interesting. You know, his his velocity is not very good, but at one point his velocity was stepped up a bit. So I would I'd love to know what his current velocity is. Uh, but if you have him in, as a long man, he's an interesting long man because he's a lefty. So you know, if you have, you know, Waka out there, maybe you can do Waka for three, Gonzalez for, for three, and maybe you're still in the game. So I think that they, uh, they're still a decent team in a short season. A lot of things can happen. I'm a little surprised by some of the other uh, things that have showed up on the transaction wire that you have on the rundown here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Michael Kopek and Brendan McKay option to AAA. I think, McKay we could kind of see the writing on the wall a few weeks ago with that they've got a lot of depth and he had some struggles after getting called up last year I still really like him in the long run but Kopech especially with the White Sox being a team that have spent so much this offseason we've talked about them as uh, probably maybe the biggest winners if not the maybe the runner ups to the Reds in terms of how much they have improved just in this offseason alone. I'm a little more surprised there, and I think a big part of it, too, is I look at the depth they have in the back of their rotation, and Gio Gonzalez is a nice innings eater. Giolito, Keichel, Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, I guess, just being a little healthier in the last year is the difference, maybe. But I was kind of surprised they didn't go Kopech over Gio for that spot. Uh, But this is one of those things. Like Maybe it's only a handful of turns at AAA when the season does begin, before Kopec's up?
1: Well, I guess so. Uh, but, you know, the White Sox had an 18.7% playoff chance by Dan Zimborski before the season started. And then in a 110-game season, that number goes to 31.5. So they're instantly more in it. I think we might be looking at an 81-game season and that's a 35% playoff percent for the White Sox, so I just figured that given that boost, the White Sox got the third biggest boost uh, next to the Rangers and Angels. I just figured given that boost, they would uh, they they'd be all system goes from the beginning, but I guess uh, it's I would guess that you're right. It's a little bit more of a depth chart situation. Where they have Gio Gonzalez on the staff, and Gio Gonzalez came to be a starter. So you start the season and you see what you got out of Gio Gonzalez. And if you got nothing, you either release him or, you know, put him in the bullpen as a lefty, long lefty or something. And then here comes Kopech. So it's like everybody right now is healthy. As soon as someone isn't, or as soon as someone plays himself out of the role, here comes Kopech. So. I guess that's really you don't really want to have Kopech up in the bullpen because you you
0: really want him as a starter. I would look at Ronaldo Lopez as the other guy who could be healthy and underperform to the oh. point where they just make that role change call pretty early this season. But I think that's going to be one of the tricky things about 2020. You know, once we do get to the baseball season, teams are going to have to make faster calls mm-hmm. because a shortened season fantasy you know, reduces. Managers the air. are
1: going to have to make f- faster calls.
0: Yeah, I mean every every game becomes more impactful as the season gets shorter. One thing
1: I would uh, I would point out is that um, I had a piece in the draft kit that could be very helpful in a short season. Um, it was the, my toolbox, basically. Let's see here, why is it called Inflatable Expert? Weird, Inflatable
0: Expert. Yeah, that's in the title. Anyway, that's supposed to say Infallible.
1: <laughs> inflatable it says inflatable. Uh, I am inflatable. I am your sex doll. Uh, the, the 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 beginning <laughs> is is stuff that you've heard here all the time, but you know, but it does it by sample So the beginning is if you have a really tiny sample, sample of one, you have max exit below, max pitch below, that sort of stuff. But it gets really interesting because I have uh, one game stuff, uh, pitch mix, pitch shape one month hitter swing rate pitcher swing rate so i just give you basically the toolbox that you need for uh you know looking at small uh, small sample stats so it gives you a little kind of a checklist in in order that you can use and also there's a cameo of ted berg singing his small sample size song which
0: is for the ages definitely revisit that piece i'll try to drop it into the show notes i've got uh, a note here to add Eno's Inflatable Toolbox <laughs> to the notes. Um, so it'll be in the whatever podcast platform you listen on. It should be in the episode notes for today's episode. Uh, but Kopech to the Miners, McKay to the Miners, Nate Lowe to the Miners. also for the Rays. Kind of saw the writing on the wall with that one if they didn't do anything with the G-man choice. Like so,
1: five first basemen.
0: Yeah, they're just overloaded. I think the other interesting young starting pitcher note that's popped up this week... Uh, comes from Scott Lauber uh, on the Phillies beat for the Inquirer, I believe. Spencer Howard could open the season as the Phillies' number five starter. And I think he may have come up on this show or some of the other pods we've been hosting just as a, a young starter who, in a shortened season, has a better chance of making a big impact. And it would probably come at the expense of Vince Velasquez, who I think in a lot of ways is probably right on that bubble for... Getting that permanent move to a relief role, but I thought you said something about Velasquez getting his changeup going back during he got his spring change
1: training. Changeup going, you know, in terms of stuff and you know the metrics that I was using for my ranks, um, you know, both him and Bivetta are seriously underperforming, and I and I do wonder if there's a park effect situation here. I know that once. Uh, Keith Law said we were talking about Las Vegas and how messed up Las Vegas was and how the Blue Jays were skipping Las Vegas with their pitching prospects because it was such an offensive environment that it was no good for developing pitching. I remember Bill Petty had a piece that said that extreme offensive parks were bad for a team win percentage. And so I think about the Phillies and think about Pavetta and think about how I talked to a person in the Phillies front office once who said I just don't know why Pavetta's not better you know and I think about how these stuff and command metrics look good for for Vince and for Pavetta and how they haven't had the results and I think about that park I just I wonder if that park gets in their head sometimes and especially with the rabbit ball is just it's just a toxic place to come up so as excited as I am about Spencer Howard and You know all the all the stuff he's got, and all the he has a wide variety of pitches, and seems very exciting. Like he's following right in the footsteps of Pavetta and Vasquez, (laughs) you know, other pitchers who I at different times have found exciting. Um, So I like Howard. I'm just saying I like a lot of the other young pitchers that are better that are going to debut this year better because of their park situation. In particular, I guess.
0: So how does Spencer Howard, for a redraft league, let's just say it's a 15-team mixed league, how does Howard compare to Nate Pearson when you account for Pearson having to deal with the AL East, but the fact that Pearson gets a much more forgiving home park, relatively speaking?
1: The Blue Jays go from a 0% playoff percentage to a 17% playoff. But you did you did did you just say that Pearson was demoted?
0: I don't know if I saw anything on him yet. Let me double check that real quick. Uh,
1: it was when I was in Blue Jays camp uh, 10,000 years ago. The The buzz was that he was going to make the team. Thornton was going to be the fifth starter and he's going to make the team, which is kind of a hard thing to figure out. Um, how, why they would do that or how they would do that. But I guess seeing the Kopech thing kind of, Makes me think I was wrong to say that all the teams would push all their chips in. Maybe Gore still starts with the Padres. Uh, they already did once with Paddock, so and and I feel like there's a fire under AJ Preller's butt right now. So maybe Gore starts there, but I'm guessing that Pearson doesn't start there now. And the fact that Howard might start and that the Phillies have a 31% chance in a shortened season. Um, makes me think that Howard is gonna get that role, but on talent, I'd take Pearson.
0: And Howard does have four pitches, and yeah, he does. Was sitting ninety eight, ninety nine this spring. Pearson obviously can bring it, velo wise too. I, I think that's where I am a little bit torn. I, I think the arsenal for Howard is a little bit further along at this point it may just be splitting hairs i mean
1: well pearson no but might, he also the same kind of guy. his lock on his quote unquote lock his 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 opportunity is higher his opportunity score is higher so if if the talent score is close and the opportunity score is higher on howard i guess you got to take howard above pearson but i i wouldn't wherever pearson has been going i would take howard near there
0: man you see the 80 grade next to pearson's fastball though i i <laughs> if the opportunities were equal i think i would still take Nate pearson Even with the AL East factor, I think you're right. It is coming down to the opportunity right now that that's the thing that's separating them, but it's not. Still not much of a difference. Uh, The other news item, by the way, from Philly's camp that I thought was worth bringing up on the show is that Andrew McCutcheon is expected to be fully recovered from that torn ACL, and he'll be ready to go whenever the season gets underway. That was kind of under the veil of a a mid-May startup, which is probably the earliest possible startup, but uh, he's kind of a, a nice boost though to that offense. he's a little lucky, I mean none of us are lucky right now, but
1: he's a little lucky that he his rehab the portion of his rehab that he was in, but when this hit was the end portion where you're you're kind of doing everything but you're waiting to do the hardest cuts, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's kind of the portion that like Curry was in with his hand before this went down, Stephen Curry and ba- basketball where like, he's playing basketball. He's just, I mean, actually he came back, but you know, like, uh, I guess where Clay Thompson might be where Clay Thompson is running around and taking shots and stuff, but he's not doing cuts. He's not doing five on five, you know, he's not, uh, doing that. So, you know, I think McCutcheon was in camp and he was running around, didn't have a brace and, you know, looked like he was doing okay. So he was, you know, when, when this breaks off and you have to go home and do training on your own, he was able to do that. I think, Whereas I did just talk to someone who's had surgery, a baseball player this year who's had surgery since Jan 1 and uh, said it was a little bit difficult because, you know, the rehab therapist and the massage therapist and all those people are off limits to him right now. So you've got to kind of go old school and,
0: and, you know, Google it and try to figure it out and do, I guess, massage yourself. Yeah, I mean, if if you got someone else at home that can do it, I mean, I've seen I've seen players, uh, you know, with their wives like wives doing flips, wives playing catch, like that's yeah. Just, that's what you Garrett you Cole it's, was just, playing catch with his wife. I saw Freddie Freeman just launch a home run off of his two-year-old, just <laughs> murdered the ball, and it was a the reaction of his two-year-old was great. It, it was like this look of disbelief, like Dad, you just hit the ball so far that we lost it. Why did you do that? And then. So Freddie pretends to start running the bases, and his kid just starts chasing him. It's pretty adorable. The JLo, uh, the JLo A Rod family. Uh, do
1: we have an acronym for that?
0: JLo. Um, no, th- this is going to surprise a lot of people. J Rod. That's, that's not my area of expertise. I've never. <laughs> I've never accidentally heard a nickname for them as the uh, great oh. Hollywood power couple that they are. What was Benefer? There was Benefer. Benefer. Oh my god.
1: Anyway, yeah, that was horrific. Um, that family is very athletic, and JLo lo was, was uh, hitting some tanks, so uh, that was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, what else are you going to do? You're, you're stuck at home. But uh, if, if you are single and you don't have a, a spouse who can help you with your rehab or your your flips or whatever it is you need, yeah, you're kind of just you can stuck get, to your own creativity. You can get
1: an inflatable one. <laughs> I think Jared Hughes was throwing to an inflatable catcher. I forget who the catcher was. Maybe an inflatable Rod Barajas. I don't know. He had a he had an inflatable catcher. He was throwing to. So this
0: is a completely overlooked market.
1: Like yeah. like, like inflatables are
0: usually. Why is inflatable to the word of the day? Well, uh, I, I can guess. We're all home. Yeah. yeah it really has been a theme of this show but yeah like imagine just like inflatable catchers that you could throw to like kind of like i was was thinking of the the punching bags that you give little kids that are they're like plastic but they they have sand in the bottom of them yeah we had those growing up and you know you could get fred flintstone and punch him in the face for all the times he was a jerk to barney (laughs) um you know damn you fred (laughs) <laughs> but <he, laughs> inflatable rod bras that you could throw to. A I wonder if, what, back to you. what if they could be customized. Like if you did it with the Players Association,
1: big heads. What, what big head? What is it? What fat
0: called? heads. Fat head. A fat head crossover you could you could make them for like all different kinds too like you could make them for actual <laughs> training you could make them for destruction you could make them for for beanings where you just like have a batter
1: you don't like <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you just get an inflatable like yeah i never really like your Victoria alba so I, I just go. want to throw at him <laughs> this is this mm. is where our heads are right Ooh, now V rv ever do to you <laughs> i don't know why that was the name that had I just, it was that was the random catcher generating program in my brain um a couple other notes to get to the yankees are always good for injury updates since they're hurt all the time uh james paxton is throwing at home which apparently is in wisconsin i did a little digging around he uh, his wife uh grew up in eau claire which is kind of up by weird. The Minnesota border. i'm pretty
1: sure he lived up near seattle yeah, uh,
0: I just assumed he lived somewhere in
1: Canada. Seattle's uh, not quite the place to be right now. So,
0: no, uh, he's lived in Wisconsin for a couple of years, but mm. he could also be ready for mid-May games if we have them. So it seems like things. I are... was
1: moving him up my rankings when we were actually having spring because there was good news coming out of his camp. So,
0: yeah, even back during the Labor Weekend, uh, yeah. six and a half months ago, or more <laughs> accurately, three and a half weeks ago. Actually, it was about one month ago. This weekend, now almost.
1: When like I got home ago. from that, uh, like shortly after that, I got sick. So, I have left the house some, but for the last three weeks, I've I've been like I'm not going anywhere. And then for, this is day
0: uh, eleven of of not having gone anywhere at all. I was trying to figure that out. I went for a walk last night with Steph and Hazel, and I. I asked Steph I said when was the last time that we went out to eat can like we've probably never in our relationship like we've dated since the end of college so we've been together about 15 years and we couldn't think of a time where we'd ever forgotten the last time we went out for a meal just even just like fast food burgers or something right like mm-hmm. we just have, have completely cut that out and what we're trying to figure out is well, what do we do like we want to support these places that we normally go to buying gift cards is the one kind of obvious way but even like i'm a little bit reluctant to get takeout from places just because i want to continue to minimize exposures but i definitely want to do something so there's you probably going to be have gift cards like DoorDash or Grubhub we do. It's it's a little bit limited. Like We kind of live away from the campus area. We're about 15 minutes away from the capital. So we're, we're just far enough away where the places that we'll deliver out here, it's probably like a third as many as we could get if we lived three mm. miles closer to downtown. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll do something like that. But anyway, James Paxton continues to progress. Aaron Hicks is progressing too. He's throwing. He's in Arizona, I believe. So that's home for him. A uh, return for him could be June at the earliest, but the range is still kind of wide. I think it's because he hasn't hit that last part of his rehab. He hasn't like done that last 20% where you kind of get a feel for what the timetable really looks like. But he's at least making some progress. And then there's Aaron Judge. Uh, he's going to be evaluated again in a few weeks for the stress reaction in his rib. I'm still kind of worried about Judge. I, I just... Something about this seems really odd. Like, he had the collapsed lung that apparently yeah, what came is, from when he drove for a ball. Where did that come from? September, apparently. And he's been
1: dealing with that since September. Did he, like, know it was a collapse? And he's like, oh, it'll inflate or what? <laughs> Like, what? I,
0: I, it's still, like, with all the stories that are written about it, it's still puzzling to me. And they just, something doesn't seem right in that situation. And I can't put my finger on what exactly it is. And while it seems like a stress reaction with time would, would heal and be fine. The fact that this kind of stuck with him through the entirety of the off season, just gives me some pause about him as one of those, those injured players who should be fine. You know, whenever we get things back.
1: Yeah. And like, obviously scans are really important. And like how many scans is he going to be able to get?
0: Yeah. uh, You're not going to go in there for, Excess scans right now.
1: I feel like he could they could start up and you know, they're like, okay, let's
0: scan you, and they're like, oh crap, you know, it didn't heal, or you know. Is is he just like so big and strong that if he sleeps on the wrong side, his ribs just crush each other or something?
1: (laughs) Dude, I have I'm I'm having like Rick Smith's flashbacks. There's this thing in basketball that if you are over seven something you just have constant knee and foot injuries. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's like, I think it's been researched. I think this is like a thing I think. And I think you've actually seen the effect of that research because the market has optimized for like six foot 10 in basketball. Now you have more guys that are sort of six foot 10 to, to seven foot. than you have, you know, a lot of like this guy, taco fall, who is like seven foot eight or something you know, went in the second round and isn't playing in the NBA. Uh, that might be because the game has gotten fast, and yes, there are other things going on, and three-point shots have been more at a premium, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this part of it was the, the injury rate on on really tall guys. And it got brought up in, with my love with O'Neal Cruz, too, where uh, just the success rates in general for really tall, really big guys in baseball
0: is not very high. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, you're, you're right. I do wonder how much of that is, is those athletes at younger ages, especially in America, getting pulled into football or mm-hmm. getting pulled into basketball. You know, if you're a six eight or six nine athletic kid, the basketball coaches are going to be all over you. Yeah, like how is Richie Sexton not a center? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Well, I What guess, made you, you think know, of Richie Sexton, by the way? What did I make of him? Yeah, well, what made you think of him?
1: Oh, I did a piece on players that killed certain franchises. Oh. Uh, that was published today, and it would be the NL version. And so the comments has basically been like, oh, but what about this guy? And so somebody said, what about Richie Sexton? He always killed us. I think he was talking about the Pirates or the Cubs. So I had to I had to look up Richie Saxon versus somebody's team today.
0: He was fun for a little while. Uh, I think I even had... In high school, I think I had a Richie Sexson Brewers jersey. Yeah, one no, of my, uh, one of my first jerseys. He
1: must have been. He must. He was. Yeah, he was relevant when I, when I started playing fantasy
0: baseball. He was a good fantasy pick. Two forty-five home run seasons in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. Back, in the, uh, early back 2000s. was a little bit
1: more rare to have them. Yeah, a
0: couple thirty-plus homer seasons in Seattle as well. Uh, last injury update to pass along two from the Angels. Actually, Shohei Otani continues to throw on flat ground. He could progress to a mound soon, so it's just a question of like how much can he do on his own, and then Griffin Canning may resume throwing next week. I really want Griffin Canning to be healthy and ready to roll. I'm just really nervous, you know. I just I don't I think the organization has had such a a, a rough run with elbow injuries in particular that maybe that's sort of adding to my skepticism in this exact instance.
1: Yeah, and it, there could be organization failings when it comes to this sort of stuff because there are increasingly best practices when it comes to tracking, bio-tracking. This is going to be the next foot forward, the next competitive advantage for teams is as Hawkeye comes in, the optical tracker, and it gets rid of TrackMan, the, the uh, radar-based tracker, we're going to have limb tracking. And... So when you have limb tracking now you can say with more precision stuff like what is the angle between the humerus and uh, I think the humerus is like like shoulder like the upper arm going into the shoulder like what's the what's the angle between your humerus and your clavicle or something I, I hope I got that right someone's going to be like that idiot um those two <laughs> bones don't connect uh we have to start doing the Connect song. The elbow connects to... Anyway. The humerus the ulna? Yeah. Anyway, the, you can say with more precision how two two bones interact and what the angles are and where, where things are. So then you can start to say, oh, people with this kind of angle at this moment, um, you know, are at a higher risk for Tommy John and like i just read a piece that uh, glenn Fleissick has like a maybe a two tracker uh thing where he has like basically a shoulder tracker and elbow tracker and like that that interaction uh, informs his training regimen that he that he uh, glenn Fleissick is with uh, asmi and he's a he's a well respected and and i'm not questioning his research but uh, he has this he basically has a two tracker thing i just read this research uh, yesterday that said that you should you probably use four uh, points uh, of reference, so there, you can have two in the shoulder and uh, or three in the shoulder and one in the elbow. And if you use those, uh, you get closer to understanding when an elbow is overstressed and when mechanically a pitcher needs to make a change. So if the Angels really are having Tommy John problems, they, like it could be a failing when it comes to their biomechanical modeling, uh, their stress modeling, their uh, their workload. Uh, monitoring and their workload situation, and then none of that stuff's going to get better right now. You know, the data's not coming in right now. Today, we'd get our first data from Hawkeye, uh, and we're not going to get that. And and uh, you can't really, you know, workload monitor like you normally would. So, uh, uh, and then on top of that, with canning in particular, like it just like doesn't it seem like we just don't know? Like like that's not good. They haven't ever said like, oh, it is this, and this is what we're going to do. It's been more like. Yeah, uh, his elbow is no good. Like we're just gonna give it a couple weeks and try again. You know, this feels to me like the run up of something bigger.
0: Yeah, the the PRP injection was back on on March sixth, and the four week shutdown period for him.
1: I mean, was that's another expected. thing. The Angels try to avoid surgery, which more power to them. Like I understand that because there's an eighty five percent success rate on Tommy John. There's, that means there's a fifteen percent failure rate. That means you don't want to have surgery, and you know, I you know they did they've done PRP. Uh, with a lot of their guys, but I can't remember a PRP working for them. I feel like all their guys that they've done these things with have ended up getting surgery. Like they did PRP with with Otani when he first came over, and he got surgery.
0: I'm pretty sure it was Garrett Richards too went down the yes. PRP route with did them. The
1: PRP and rest, and it didn't work. Did Haney, maybe it worked for Haney?
0: Mm, I don't think it did. I think you know, this is probably... This is probably a research project that's worth some time. We may have to look at it for a future episode.
1: Anything with Haney and workload has to come with scare quotes because, oh, well, look at this. He missed 2016 and 2017. I'm I'm sure he had Tommy John in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty confident he did have the surgery. I don't think he just missed it trying to avoid it.
1: Yeah, that's a full – That's that's he he pitched 27 innings in two years. I'm pretty sure there's something – there's a surgery in there. So, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do. But PRP in the past with the Angels, you know, he kind of went on my do not draft list. And I was a big Griffin Canning fan. So uh, that's something. And and do not draft to the point where we just had, you know, a a monster, you know, 12 team best ball with like, you know, 60 60 roster slots or whatever it was. And Canning was available in the last couple of rounds and I still didn't take him.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It was uh, July 2016 for Heaney. He did have Tommy John. So I think everybody in their rotation has had it at some point. I think it was Mark Kerrig who had pointed out that the projected Mets rotation, now with Syndergaard having Tommy John, everybody in their rotation had had it at one point, or at least there was a, a previous iteration of that. Uh, heart, it, was, yeah, it was the Harvey Syndergaard-DeGrom rotation that he played.
1: I think there's there. a, a two-part thing going on with the Mets, which is, That um, yes, there could be the sort of uh, more refining that can happen with the workload um, and the sort of biomechanical stuff. That I'm pretty sure uh, the Mets aren't necessarily on the forefront of that, but maybe that'll change with Hefner in there. But Hefner's more of a guy who's going to deliver the research rather than a guy who's going to drive the research. And then secondly, the the, the thing that I used to love about the Mets, I now think is maybe been their downfall, the Worthen slider. So they all throw like 94-mile-an-hour sliders, and basically everybody who's thrown the Worthen slider has now had Tommy John. Yeah, that's not good. I think the only one who hasn't is Familia, and I'm pretty sure he missed some time with shoulder before they signed him 2017 familiar through 24 innings. I'm pretty sure that was a, a fairly major injury in there with his shoulder or something.
0: Yeah. Once we get Hawkeye though, maybe that'll help but that situation. Well, is, it could help the angels.
1: There's some research for, uh, the worth insider thing. Um, if you look at stress on the elbow, we wear the motor sleeve and you just do Newton meters, uh, and just be like stress per Newton meter, you know, like Newton meter stress on the elbow, the most stressful thing is velocity. The most stressful thing is the fastball and velocity. However, if you then say, what what are the Newton meters per mile per hour? What is the stress per mile per hour? Uh, breaking balls go in front of fastballs. So you, you would normally say, like, hey, uh, Thor got the surgery because he throws 98. Or, you know, but since he throws like a 92, 94 mile an hour slider, you don't actually know which one it was. Both of those things are really stressful. Um, you know, if you say like str- sliders are normally stressed or less stressful, well, sliders are normally 87, 88. What about a 92 mile an hour slider?
0: Yeah. So those, those extra ticks seem to make a pretty big difference.
1: I think so. I think so. There's a driveline study on it. You can just, uh, you can look it up. It's uh, uh, just st- stress by pitch type uh, where they use the motor sleeve. So I think those, those uh, keywords
0: will get it for you. That's pretty interesting. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know The Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy... We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com with the code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. We got a few mailbag questions that we didn't get to on our last episode and a few others have started to trickle in that we'll probably get to early next week. Uh, Which we we have have to get to because we teased them at the beginning. (laughs) It's true. We definitely have to get to today's because they were teased in the last episode. (laughs) Uh, First one comes from Dougie Z. Uh, He writes, Do you ever wish you could see into the future a league with no dart throws, no upside, LOL, risks, uh, how about doing an auction league with standard rules, lineups, auction and fab budgets, five by five league. After the auction, you could see who wins and then play it out either weekly or daily lineups. Imagine knowing who's going to have a big week or who's going to stink, who's going to get hurt and when, if you have Javi Baez, do you trade him in may or June knowing he's going to be out almost all of August and September. So this is like a, a redo of 2019 idea uh, that Doug sent us. And he said the league would be called the Houston Astros bang the can. Cause you know, what's coming league. Um, uh, Might not be a popular league name in Houston, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean like I think we are at this point where playing with old stats is it's more on my mind now than it's ever been like it's something that people have done for a while like the Roto Junkie forums have a, a thread dedicated to drafting with old stats. It kind of ties into the project goat stuff that we've been doing a little bit too. same sort of concept, but this one's more just like locking into a season the week to week thing. I think it's too granular for me. You know, I, I I like the idea. I just don't know if it's something that I would actually end up doing.
1: I was in the league that Dan Rosenheck ran that had weekly rentals. This is a more a standard league where you don't know the future, where you're, you're playing through it. But it was too much for me. It was too much for me because he basically had to model. He had to have a DFS style model where he could model. He could basically project a player daily and then... Accrue those daily projections, and then say something like, "Oh, I think I'm going to get more value out of player X over the next two weeks than I would over from player Y over the next four weeks." And it was just too much for me. I, mean, I was like, "What? What do we do? <laughs> what you want to give me two weeks of Billy Hamilton?" Like I ended up because I had too many steals and I had Billy Hamilton that year. I ended up giving somebody three weeks of Billy Hamilton for the rest of the season of Junior Guerra.
0: It's weird, isn't it? It was so weird.
1: And it just, it, it's, it's one of those things where, and, but you know what now, maybe, maybe more than ever, because it's one of those things where I would love to have that league. if It was my only league. And when it was one of 10 or 11, I was just like, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. So this league, um, we don't have a lot going on right now. might be an interesting way to kind of go back through 2019. And uh, it might work. It'll be a fair amount of work. And I also feel like someone could, um, the person who spent the most time on it would just win.
0: That's probably true. Most most time would probably pay off in, in that format. Maybe there's a way to, to cap it somehow. To maybe we can't use like a like a chess clock, you know, like yeah, right. <laughs> everybody gets three hours and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you don't win because you were the, the biggest grinder. You win because you were the most effective grinder in equal amounts of time. Uh that concept reminds me a lot of what score sheet does in the off season. I think what they did this past winter is they took stats from four different seasons, 85 through 88 and kind of replayed an era into a combined season. So for a three week stretch, they were pulling stats from 85 for another three week stretches from 86. And they have a simulation program that plays out actual games. And that that's pretty cool too, to do something like that. You don't have to go all the way back to the eighties to do it, but, um, just another way to, to think about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the time to be creative with uh, with games, especially I think in this these next like six weeks, like we're gonna have this lull where we're like, okay, now what do we do? Um, so I, I I like I like where Dougie's head's at. I just don't want to be the one who's the commish of this league. <laughs> I don't have it in me right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying with OTP to bring something, and still trying to figure out something for Korea and Japan, maybe. We'll just do something by pen, like almost like the Goat League, where there's just some sort of, uh, you know, uh, home run derby type thing for Japan League, where we just have uh, some sort of draft or three groups of players you can pick from, five groups of players you can pick pick one from each group, uh, submit it, and whoever has the most home runs wins.
0: You know? Yeah, like like a box pool. Kind of thing. yeah
1: something simpler where then we can uh you know do a little bit of scouting when it comes to the japanese league and the korean league and, and try to identify some big sluggers and and have some fun with it that way uh but yeah i think april is going to be the thing that we got to knock out somehow because hopefully by the beginning of may you know schools here were canceled until may and so may one i'm hoping you know even if they say school is done because there's only you know four more weeks. You could he we could get more clarity near the beginning of May where baseball says okay, you know another week or two and we're going to have spring training. So that's that's what I'm hoping for is that we get not necessarily baseball in May but we get clarity in May because yeah. clarity will help all of us too, right? Then we can restart up our leagues. Whatever drafts are not finished, you can just have those. We'll have something to build towards. We can then start doing our our positional previews again like we the, the whole <laughs> thing about fantasy is you, round two you, Yeah, exactly for all the whole thing about fantasy is you have to like you, you can't just keep doing the same thing because we don't know when <laughs> you need like a you need to build towards a, a moment there has to be like a date so
0: yeah i've got new rankings coming out probably over the weekend if not friday afternoon before midday monday taking the, into the account window the, just a shortened season and yeah dropping cinder guard off the list and uh-huh. just you know things that need to be changed in case people are still there's still people drafting every weekend you could still do the nfbc still running some contests and are they yeah they, they had a few like uh i think they're it's not more doing satellites. like the main
1: event and all those things right
0: yeah they put those on hold for now but i'm pretty uh-huh. sure if you go to the lobby yeah if you go to the lobby right now there's i mean there's still some online championships there's still some cut line stuff out there and uh if if you have the itch you did the work already if you just want to get something in like you've got you've got options there uh but thanks a lot for the email doug there's also a nice compliment about the pod and whatnot in there too so we really appreciate that as well Uh, a couple questions from gordo Uh, these are the ones that were teased in the last episode the first question he asked us was how much of a fantasy analyst credibility and reputation stems from performance of their teams in expert leagues Can a poor commentator be a great manager or a chronic second division expert league finisher, a peerless analyst? So we'll take that combination of questions first. um, I feel seen. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Elaborate. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't
1: won labor yet. God damn it. My finishes keep getting better. Um, I will say this. There is something about analyzing the game that is different from gameplay. There's something that's different about analyzing baseball and understanding baseball that's a little different from winning the room. And I think that I get a little myopic sometimes when I'm in the room. And I perhaps I don't practice enough. Like for example, I do labor and that other than my auto-new auctions, which are totally different. That's my only auction of the year. So just because of time-wise, because I, I'm also on the regular baseball beat and have my, you know, the things I have to write for regular baseball, I just don't have enough time to do a lot of practice auctions. And you'll see one of the things that makes Matt Modica so good, Modica, so good at what he does is that he's, he plays a lot, you know, and he understands, he understands the NFBC format almost like no other. So he knows that format and he plays so often that format that he knows, even if it's auction or snake, like he just knows what players will be available at what times, who, what people do, what strategies people do, how people act. And over time, I've started to learn that about my labor uh, partners and, or, 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 or colleagues or foes or you want to call them because, you know, every year becomes a practice for the next year. So I I have gotten a little bit more of a handle on how people act in the in the room and and what strategies work for me and and how I should be in the room, uh, and so my my standings have gotten my play my 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 finishes have gotten better slowly better like last year was fourth and I could have won if Severino was healthy so um, I would say that there is a difference between the game of fantasy baseball and the game of baseball um, that and uh, and then on top of that. What we're doing here is entertaining and informing. And you can be entertaining and inform- informative without necessarily dominating um, every every draft you're in.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a, a hustle component of being in leagues, too, that if your primary job is to create content, you actually might not take as much time as you could or should to hustle in your leagues. I'm not implying that that's what's happening with you. You know, that's just like...
1: No, but there's also... Your ranks are everywhere, man. Like, if I want to know what DVR, you know, thinks of players, I just call up DVR's rankings and boom, there they are. Like, I I was in the, it was in this uh, online championship, my first NFBC, like, online championship. And there was one guy that just took every pitcher I wanted in the round I wanted. It's frustrating. And I was like, this person
0: has my ranks out. So, so I, I think the challenge when that happens, it's a unique problem that most people, I mean, like if you're not publishing your ranks or going around telling people who you like, you can't relate to it. But I think it it forces people who do that to be very flexible in their strategy and, and just kind of knowing the pool inside and out. You know, you have to be able to counteract something like that. As difficult as that is, it's kind of like drafting against yourself, you got to have some way to work around that
1: yeah my way is tears and I know some people denigrate tears but like yeah I, like if you're gonna take my favorite sleepers I'm gonna think of people in groups and I'm gonna have a group of sleepers and you can't you can't take everybody in the group like I'll get one of them so that's that's one way to combat it one thing I don't like is that some of the better players talk about not giving you all of the information they've got or not giving you all of their analysis. Uh, especially when it comes to something like free agency bidding. I know there are players out there who are analysts or public analysts who do not give you all of the information because they do not want the people in their leagues to know what they're thinking.
0: It's a really tough line to walk with fab bidding in a competitive league in particular. But if you're going to be in a position where people subscribe for your content and pay you money for your content, I think you have to be completely transparent with what you think about the player pool. Like you can't yeah, have your cake and I eat never it too, back. Yeah. <laughs> to, to borrow an expression that I, I, I owe it dollars to donuts. You know, I hate that one too. I, I don't like most of those old timey phrases, but that's, that's what it is. It, you can't, you can't sell the content and not give the best possible content. Like that's just a terrible, terrible way. Yeah, to and go. a
1: while, a while back I made that decision very sort of forcefully and, you know, in those words where I was like, my priority is content. If I'm going to make it in this industry, it's going to be my content. It's not going to be, I'm not going to make it like, that's why DFS never really appealed to me because my content wasn't going to be enough for DFS. And I would have had my own projection system and win at actual DFS in order to uh, in order to make DFS such d- part of what I offered to people, you know, make that analysis part of what I offered people in DFS. It's really how mu- how well do you do in DFS? That's, that's the only reason I want to listen to you, you know? And so with that, I was like, I'd either have to rededicate and really focus in on DFS and win at DFS and play DFS and, uh, and really focus on winning rather than the content. So I've, I've always been content first.
0: Uh, To answer Gordo's question in in simple terms, like a good bit rides on it, but it's not the only thing people should be judging analysts for. It's not just a performance-based sort of thing. I think a, a poor commentator can be a great manager, Vice versa, you can get any combination of those things. Some people are bad players and bad commentators. Those people exist, and sometimes they have a microphone too. Uh, that's just how it goes. But sometimes you get both, and sometimes you get one skill that's stronger than the other. That's
1: sometimes one. they have the smoothest voice in the business, and they win all the time.
0: Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you get lucky. Uh, <laughs> the other other question from Gordo is the uh, highly anticipated Zach Pleissack pickoff move question. Uh, but again, there's a broader question attached to it. Uh, so Gordo wanted to know if XFIP and DRA and other advanced pitching metrics adequately account for the effect of a pitcher's pickoff move. The example he sent was Zach Plesac, ticketed for regression by many analysts given his XFIP, ERA chasm from last year. Uh, but he's wondering if some of that gap could be explained by his excellent pickoff move. A good move not only results in pickoffs, but could also shut down the running game, and perhaps enhance the strand rate. So what do you think, you know? I don't think it's in anything. Right, it's never accounted for in stats?
1: It is not accounted for in stats. That I'm looking right now, I'm sort of quickly going looking through war because that's the closest, because it, it really brings everything together. But I'm pretty sure the only thing that's changed over time with war is that they put in leverage for relievers and that they put in uh, pop flies, infield flies. And that's about it. That's Fangraph's war. Now, could baseball reference war maybe include it? Maybe. Um, But war is the closest thing you get. But I know that like Johnny Cueto, for example, controls the running way really well. And uh, for his career, I think War underrates what Johnny Cueto has done. And you can see it uh, where he has a 335 ERA and a 381 F- FIP. Uh, he's one of the bigger uh, differences over a large sample uh, than anybody. And he kind of also does other things that don't show up, like his deception. Cueto has the like five different deliveries that he does. So. Um, you know, I think, uh, that is a question, but two things, one, how much is it really worth? And two, how much is it really worth in the face of de- the decline of the value of the stone base and the emphasis on stone bases in baseball? Um, somebody like Cindergaard is way on the other side of the, of the picture where, uh, his results are a little bit worse than you'd expect. Um, and he has like last year, he was a four win pitcher with a four, two, eight ERA. Um, and he had a four, two, eight ERA with a three, six, Oh, FIP, And his ERA has been 0.4 higher than his FIP over his career. So, uh, those are extremes though. Thor and Cueto are probably described the entire extreme, like one and the other.
0: And I think at the ends that's where it could be a little bit impactful, but I do kinda wonder if it's just a, a marginal it's thing. Like yeah. It's it's a nice skill to have. You'd rather have it than not have it because it gives you that extra little nudge in the ratios, but I think the broader trend that you brought up is kinda what sticks with me too. It's it's becoming a lot less important in the absolute like middle like the, the middle ninety percent of pitchers are probably like almost unaffected by it. And the extremes are the guys that you look at now. I don't know if Pleissack does he fit the extreme? Like, man, he he does have a. Re- it was a really low K rate last year, at least. Is that where he really is skills wise? Like, do you see him maybe growing in that area? Like, I, I don't necessarily think I would want Pleissack on the strength of of that particular skill. But I'm looking at him and kind of wondering, like, okay, is this really all we're gonna get? Like a. Sub seven Ks per nine, under twenty percent strikeout rate. Is that who he is?
1: Yeah, I'm
0: not really in on him. I mean, I you probably could have seen two. that
1: from my my ranks,
0: but
1: <laughs> I'm not really in on him. I just, uh, you know, let me see what I I have him as being below average in both stuff and uh,
0: and man. command. Oh, yeah. So, see, I would I would have just would have, I would have guessed that because of what he did that he was above average in command and potentially uh, was above average in inducing weak contact. Those, were the things, those, those are two things I would have guessed that, to be true based on that, that the surface That could be, numbers. but
1: look at his homer rate, 1.5 homers per nine last year. Yeah.
0: He wow. didn't allow homers in the minors, didn't allow walks really in the minors, and he struck more guys out in the minors. Like he was just a, a better there, pitcher there against be lesser more in competition.
1: Here there could be more here and maybe I'm missing it. And I do think the Indians seem to get the most out of their guys. So that's, that's one thing, but, and and then there's, there's something with the park where like, it is a pretty friendly park to introduce a, a pitcher to the major leagues, you know? Um, so there's a lot of things going in different directions, but for me, uh, 95 stuff, 95 command, it's, uh, basically league average. So Zips says he'll have like a four five eight ERA and be worth two wins. That is basically league average. So I'm telling
0: you that I believe the Zips projection. I guess. All right, you're on the Zips projection for police I I think he's probably more of like a home streamer than a guy in mixed leagues mm-hmm. who would be on my roster all season long. I think that's the the best way to go. But
1: I mean, they got they got great numbers. I think over their careers out of guys um that that had less stuff i mean who is the tomlin you know
0: oh, man, like they went to that well so many times too
1: tomlin had a 4.68 era and had a year with a uh, a 440 and a and 174 innings and you know uh, there's one year with the braves that might mess it up a little bit but let me just look at his home away split for his career uh home era 4.57 for his career uh which includes some bad years so uh, you know I don't I think he's maybe a little bit better than Tomlin uh because he's got more velocity for one and he has more strikeouts but um I wouldn't say that he's necessarily so much better that he gets out of that class
0: How would you compare Plesak to Aaron Sivalli? I mean to me they're like magnum and blue steel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they neither one uh shows up well by you know uh, Savali shows up a little bit better by stuff uh, and, and actually command, where uh, he's like 102 by stuff and 98 command. Uh, but however, that stuff number comes with an asterisk because uh, it's possible that early stuff number overvalued sinkers. Um, just the, the. If you looked at stuff and you looked at the very top of the stuff list, there were a lot of guys with sinkers where the game is going away from sinkers and. Uh, the pitchers that it was highlighting as having great stuff with the with the sinkers were were not the best pitchers. I'm trying to think of uh, Andrew Kittredge, for example, had a 119 stuff number, and that just seems wrong. And he has he is he's a sinker guy. Uh, Marcus Stroman had a 110 stuff number, so um, I would say that probably more likely, uh, Savali's like 98 98. And uh,
0: and police hack is ninety five ninety five. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I just look at what they did level by level in the minors. Cause they they kind of just moved up the system together.
1: Uh huh. Good I, walk rates. I mean, they're really good at slider command. And it, and slider command in my past research, slider command is more important than slider stuff. So at the very least, these two guys can command their slider, and that's going to help them with their walk rates and I guess their home run rates. Hopefully. Um but uh it takes stuff to get to that nine, ten strikeouts per nine that kind
0: of make you a good starter these days. I'm a weirdo. I I think Pleasak might be better. Yeah. I just I I just think that He had better he was,
1: strikeout rates than the minors for
0: sure. Yeah, that's just what's kind of sticking with me. I he was just mm-hmm. he was better at all the minor league stops and if he has a kind of a wider arsenal too. S- Savali is pretty much sinker slider. Yeah, that's and Forty grade fastball. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Oh,
1: really? That's what that's what they put on Savali.
0: That's what they got on him. The police act scouting grades are no longer visible. Oh, interesting.
1: But at ninety four miles an hour, it have
0: to be really straight to
1: be uh, a forty. Yeah, so. he threw
0: four different pitches last year: yeah, fastball, it, slider, curveball, changeup.
1: Yeah, and I think they're legit decent pitches. They're just none of them is like really amazing. It's kind of like engineering your way to a league
0: average starter, I feel like. Could work, though. They do handle pitching well in Mm -hmm. Cleveland. Thanks for the questions, Gordo. Let's close things out with the triumphant return of beer of the week. You know, we've had some opportunities to drink beer uh, in our isolation this month. And
1: judging from the state of my beer fridge, I have taking advantage of those opportunities (laughs) is there is there empty real estate in the beer fridge Dude, i i uh i don't know i've got nowhere to drive i
0: guess (laughs) (laughs) what's uh what's kind of stood out to you as you've made your way through uh the collection that you'd assembled
1: well you know I've, i've mostly been uh doing uh the local thing um uh, but I I did try a uh, sour saison with a with a terrible name called Milk the Mustache.
0: That's a bad name.
1: I did not enjoy that. I had a a, a honey a honey pilsner from Bogota. Uh, that was really fun. Um, but uh, the one that stood out for me was uh, a stout uh, called nocturnal creatures, and I want to bring that up because it's, it wasn't super local. It's from Double Nickel, which is in New Jersey. Uh, and it had cacao, toasted coconut, and Madagascan villi- villi- vanilla beans in it. And one of the reasons that stood out for me was that um, most of these stouts like this have, have coffee in them. Uh, so it was nice for me. To, and if it has coffee in it, I, I usually reserve it for the weekends. Because
0: I'm a little nervous, it'll keep me up. That's I right. You're not a coffee. regular coffee drinker, so you, like yeah. you, I have a coffee tolerance; it's pretty high. So I'm, I'm going to be one of those old people who at like 65 can drink a half a pot of coffee after dinner and just fall asleep <laughs>
1: afterwards. <laughs> I'm I could uh, accidentally have a little coffee dusting on my dessert at the restaurant and not sleep. So um, <laughs> no you know, tiramisu uh, for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was thinking of tiramisu. Uh, it was just a really enjoyable, uh, a, a stout. And since I'm also, I, I ran a new max yesterday, uh, eight miles and eight miles, I've gotten up to eight miles. Um, I, uh, I've been running pretty hard, uh, to just get rid of the stress and to get out of the house. And, um, uh, I've been rewarding myself with a few more stouts. Also the stouts keep longer. Um, so what's left in my, in my fridge right now is like 80% sours and stouts, uh, so I, I wanted to highlight uh, a good stout from the East Coast.
0: Well, I like nice. It. Yeah, I've been trying to do the local thing too, and and again on my weekly supply run, I'm just going to the grocery store, and fortunately, grocery stores here carry a lot of local beers. It's not even the case in some places. I I, I didn't I never realized that was how other states operate until somebody I think they were tweeting at you about. Um, some distribution or something and they're like Mm. oh i live in new jersey and you can't i don't know if you can't buy beer at the at the grocery store at all or if you can it's just garbage or whatever but um that was weird to me so i got into some more carbon four recently they have a beer called champagne tortoise it is a, a mild english mild ale and i think the thing i like about it is it's totally different than anything else i would ordinarily drink a lot of stuff i drink is hazy and hoppy uh and carbon 4 makes a lot of malt forward beers they have some stouts that are very malt forward as well but champagne tortoise has that kind of uh, sweet bready yeasty flavor that that i really like and uh, the thing i i think is really great about it too is if you have friends who don't like the beers we normally recommend they would like that style but i was trying to think like English style mild ales that are widely available, that has not been a popular brewing style in this craft beer movement we've really seen in the last decade, right? Like do any come to mind for you that are at least regionally commonly available?
1: I will say I'm happy when I go to a brewery and they have that kind of depth on their, in their lineup. I will also say that I don't usually
0: then buy it. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I bought it because it's like 5% ABV and I'm like well if I'm not getting out exercising as much as I would like at least I'm not drinking
1: three Yeah, in one my choice in those situations is Pilsner's I got a Heater Allen Pilsner uh, that I've been drinking from um, Portland I think and uh, it was really good especially since some Pilsner's are too sweet and uh, that that one from Boko was a little bit too sweet but uh, I like that crisp Pilsner. That's my, that's my, um, that's my light beer of choice. The, yeah. the milds, I lived in England for a little bit and the milds there may have just turned me off of it. I don't know if that's fair, but they weren't always very cold.
0: Yeah. They drink their beer pretty warm in England
1: and it wasn't always or, or very we drink it too cold in some cases, but yeah, the, kind of they like had... cask, cask yep. milds, you know, cask bitters, that sort of stuff. And like, I just uh, I didn't dig on it. I ended up, while I was there, getting more into pilsners and getting more into cold, um, like, lager and pilsners. So I was having, like, Starropromen in 1664 when I lived in – Cronenberg, 1664, when I was living
0: in, in England. So Yeah, that, that warmer beer thing would take me a while to get used <laughs> to. I, I, I think the, the mild ale, too, it reminds me of drinking tea, like iced tea a little bit, something about it. I don't know exactly. Hmm what it is but uh, it's kind of a nice refreshing thing to target as uh, the weather starts to warm up a little bit if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it please take a moment to do that we'd greatly appreciate it if you got friends who would enjoy the pod pass it on this is a good time to share things you're enjoying with uh, the people closest to you if you are not already a subscriber to the athletic we do have a 90-day trial available Theathletic.com slash Rates in Barrels. Everything we do is included with a subscription, so it's a great time to check out the site if you haven't done it yet. Uh, If you're ready to sign up, you can get 40% off a subscription as well. So, Lots to look at. Lots of great stories. Our, Our full staff, and we've got a staff of 400 plus cranking out content. We're all missing sports. We're all missing the fact that today would have been opening day, but there's a lot of good stuff to read. Hopefully, a lot of good stuff to listen to on our network of shows as well uh, as always you can reach us via email rates and barrels at the if you want to do that uh, you can spell out the word and though if you want to go the email route on twitter he's at you i am at Derek van Riper. that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on tuesday stay safe out there thanks for listening